This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Note to self, do not dump beer on the keyboard of the computer into which you record your show. What a nerd turd. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible klutz I am. Yeah. I almost said terrible fucking klutz, but that would be problematic. For some people. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Welcome to the show, everybody. I doubt it with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, sitting across from me with her own alcoholic beverage, which I don't know if it's your first time, but it's rare, is Brittany Page. My first time drinking an alcoholic beverage while recording the show? Yes. That's not a first time. Okay. We don't do it every single time. No, 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 no. I'm not a... I'm not crazy about the drinking and doing the show. I don't go crazy about it. Do you say that because you think it leads to too much cursing? Because yeah, that might have been the 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 issue with episode forty four, which we, as Brittany said, we will get to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it can just make you a little loose with the topics, probably. Well, it's your thing isn't usually a glass of wine. Your thing is usually a delicious bottle. Of Aquafina. Mm, that is where it's at. <laughs> yeah. For for those of you who don't know, and I would assume that's fucking everyone, uh, Brittany is a water weirdo. She is a water snob, if I may be so bold. Yeah, that would be an appropriate assessment, I think. Yeah. She judges people... <laughs> That drink Arrowhead? Yeah, you just you judge people who drink Arrowhead water. Gross. Yeah. Why would anybody do that? If you're doing that right now... Why would anyone notice the difference? It tastes sweet. It doesn't... It tastes like water. No, it tastes sweet and dirty. Kind of like sweet, like a sewer would smell. That's not sweet. That smells like shit. Okay, some of them smell sweet. So you're saying when you walk into a dirty hobo public bathroom, like the one down at the pier in Newport Beach, you think, mmm, what an aromatic bouquet. <laughs> the no. shit smell is sweet to you? No, because I don't think that Arrowhead is an aromatic bouquet. I think it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who drinks it needs to reevaluate their sitch and get some Aquafina because that's where it's at. Yeah. Brittany still claims to this day that she can she could be the sole subject of a blind, a double blind taste test and be able to pick out which waters are which. Okay, well here's the thing. I did do that one time. Mm-hmm. Do we really do we really want to get into this? No, I did do this one time. Listen. Because I will shit straight in your mouth. Yeah, well you which didn't you do will it right. Think so let me sweet. let me talk. <laughs> let me <laughs> let me say what my first experiment was. All right. It was given to me blind and it was a by a blind person no, or by by Katie, my best friend. She gave me sink water, aquafina, and I think Dasani. And I, I could be wrong about what and Arrowhead. What the third one was, and Arrowhead. 
And so I had these four things to choose from. And she went all out. She made sure to put them in the fridge for the right amount of time Mm, so they'd all be the same temperature. I think that might be a lie. No, she put them in the glass. She put them in the fridge so they'd all be the same temperature. And then, you know, there was someone else involved that helped her remember which was which. She put them on the counter. I did the taste test. And I knew which one was which. Because the time we did this... And this is why I asked if you really wanted to get in this. You didn't. I didn't have the specific labels. That exactly. You, you didn't have the brands with so which I'm because, familiar. Just because I get regular old random gas station flavor. It's you don't guess it. You you. If I don't someone even think had, you got Aquafina. Actually, I think you did get Aquafina. If right. someone had never had Coke before, would they be able to take? Would they be able to know what, what Coke was? No, nah, I guess you're right. But let me say this, and this is in your favor. This is not me being aggressive. You do have a savant-like ability to pick out Aquafina and Arrowhead. Those are two that you absolutely know the difference between. Yes, if someone was to question my abilities, which I will I will admit that sometimes it's hard for me to distinguish between certain kinds, like Dasani, it's hard for me to pick that one out. I can usually tell what is sink water, what is Arrowhead, and what is Aquafina. And that's just because I drink Aquafina all the time. That's weird. And I know this sounds crazy, but I can also do it with milk. We did it with milk. You mean milk. Yeah, I also say milk weird, everybody. There's no E in the word milk. All right, we're going to move on. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, I want it on the record. Brittany is a weirdo about her water. That's it. That's all, that was all led no, from you drinking wine. No, we should tell another wine. story though. No, no, there's no. no. About the time when you didn't believe this about me, and so you filled up my Aquafina oh, yeah, bottle with that. sink water. Yeah, and I was sick. And you took one sip and thought I was trying to poison you. Yeah, yeah. You you actually just said, "Did you put sink water in this?" <laughs> And it was cold. It had been in the in the fridge all day. It was cold. Yeah, and it was disgusting. Yeah, and I ended up drinking it because uh, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, like I said, moving on. We're going to move on to a uh, to a, another listener call. Uh, we got a call from Sydney in North Carolina, and she has a question for us. Hi, my name is Sydney. One of my teachers, when I was he taught U.S. history honors, decided that it would be okay to like make an Asian joke in the middle of class. Someone had mentioned that, like, something about shipping meats from China, and he said, oh, what is shipping cats and dogs? And I was the only one in the class who gasped and, like, looked around and, like, is this okay? Like, and everyone else laughed. And he did that once, and then I told one of my Asian friends, and she marched up to him and, like, said, hey, not okay, man. And he, the next day, laughed about it, like, oh, because the class next to us is a Chinese language class. He was like, oh, one of the kids in the class next to us heard me make that joke. Ha, 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 don't take what I say seriously in here. <laughs> and this teacher, he, he was pretty young. He enjoys, like, uh, making the students laugh and stuff. And But the question I was going to ask is, do you all think it was appropriate for my teacher to be making those kind of comments and remarks in the classroom? Which I personally don't think it's appropriate, but everyone that I've talked to about it has given me the same kind of answer of, 
are there any Asian kids in the classroom? Why do you care if there were no Asian kids in the classroom? And I'm like, okay, what is he saying when the three or four black kids in the classroom, when we leave or when we're not there? Like, that's not okay. I don't want to leave a a classroom and, like, come back with the feeling that my teacher was making black jokes, like, five minutes before when he's supposed to be teaching us about our nation's history. So, yeah, that was basically my my whole thing. Okay. Really enjoy your show. Bye. Well, first of all, I'd like to get it on the record that I am very appreciative that now I know we have a black audience. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) And I guess secondly, my point would be, uh, to answer your question, no, I, I don't. I don't agree. I think it's very inappropriate. Because one, you were there to learn. He's there to teach, and he is a an AP history, American history teacher. He's not doing the 1130 set down at Chuckles Nut Hut, the yeah, comedy he's, club. He's not Louis C.K. Yeah, he, his job is not to make you laugh. His job is to make you learn. Exactly. So any kind of joke like that would be inappropriate. I mean, look, I'm not saying the teacher can't be funny. But he's certainly not there, he or she is certainly not there to get a rise out of you with inappropriate behavior or inappropriate material. Yeah. And my second concern would be, why does it matter if there's Asians in the class? Well, let me say this. Let's go back. One, I don't think that's necessarily racist because there are groups within Asian culture who eat cats and dogs. They do. That's a fact. But then, you know, reflecting on that, it's if he was to say, make a joke about blacks eating watermelon and fried chicken, that would be racist. So maybe the other thing is racist. I don't know. But the old, the, the overall concern would be... What if, they, what if he was making jokes about how white people love the Olive Garden? Would that be racist? White people shouldn't like the Olive Garden. So, <laughs> no, that would just be offensive. Okay. <laughs> But let me say this. Why does it matter at all if there's Asians in the class or not when he says that? Because if he, if he says it, and I'm not making a judgment, but if it is offensive, then it shouldn't matter whether they're there or not. It's offensive to humanity, not just Asians. Well, and the fact that he was concerned, maybe not concerned, but said, oh, some Chinese kids next door heard me say that, that kind of makes it look negative on his part, that he did. He knows he said something wrong. Right. And now he's making excuses well, like, oh, they heard me. Yikes. He, he not only said, uh, he not only said, yeah, well, they said that next door. He also said, don't take anything that I say in this class seriously. So when he's giving you the lecture on the American Revolution or the Industrial Revolution. Don't or, take that seriously. Hey, don't take anything I say seriously because I'm just a fucking knucklehead. Yeah, I'm just a funny guy. <laughs> I'm just here to be a jokester. So, yeah, ultimately, it's probably because he's young and he's seeking the approval of the classroom because the division of age between he and you is is so slight that he he still feels like you're more of a peer than than he is a leader and a teacher. Yeah. And it'll it'll pass with time, but hopefully he doesn't dig a, a big enough grave that he's buried in it before 
he's able to continue on and have an illustrious career as an AP American history teacher. Yeah. And just realize that, you know, teachers are going to sometimes be inappropriate. They're regular people. Yeah. It's also okay to check them like your Asian friend did. Oh, for sure. It's for sure okay to walk up and say, hey, uh uh-uh, not cool. You need to not be such a dumbass. Yeah, well, because they're regular people (laughs) and how else are they going to learn unless someone says, hey, you know, don't say stuff like that. Well, I would hope that she would have gone up to him and said, hey, not cool, and then explain, you know, you could be hurting the feelings of many, many people because not all Asians eat dogs. Yeah. And although it's culturally inappropriate to eat a dog in in America... It's not in certain parts of the world, and for you to shit on that is not cool. Yeah. I mean, you could use other words, but... So anyway, thanks, Sydney, very much for calling in. Thank you. We do appreciate you, um, and so we appreciate you very much. Which leads me to my next topic, which I read a text in our last episode related to the my use of the F word, and... Someone feels it's a little excessive. Someone feels it's very excessive. Sean from Missouri. I didn't know his name last time because all I had was his number. But Sean emailed me a a lengthy, well-written email about my use of the F word. He says, hello, Jesse and Brittany. I sent you a text not long back about the gratuitous use of the F word in your podcasts. I'm not opposed to the use of the F word, but when someone uses it at every turn in their speech, it makes one wonder if the person using the word fuck so often thinks it makes them sound cool. Let me address that point straight off. Uh, (laughs) I am long beyond the point in my life that I think how I talk or the words that I use make me sound cool. There is nothing that I can do that would make me any cooler or any less cool than I am. I am. It's because you're already so cool. That is not what I'm saying. I have been dealt the hand that I have, and this is what I've got. That I'm not cool. I'm not uncool. I'm just fucking Jesse D. Also, anyone who thinks that cussing is going to make them look cool, it's like people who think smoking makes them look cool. Yet you're dumb. I think that's that's analogous for sure. Yeah. I also don't try to be cool. So I'll continue. Uh, The text I sent wasn't a means in which to make you say the word fuck repeatedly over and over again, but to submit an example of how the word loses its panache when each repeat with each repeated use. It got old quick, didn't it? My redheaded brother. Uh, You think I was kidding. During my downtime, I clipped all of the ways in which you use profanity It is a lot. Again, I want to reiterate that I'm not opposed to the word fuck or shit or any profane word. They have their place and and can really drive home a point when peppered judiciously throughout a conversation. But damn, man, listen to yourself through episode 44. Enjoy, you fucker, and I enjoy the podcast otherwise. Sean. Well, Sean, here's let me say a couple things before I play this mashup, this awesome, wonderful mashup. And the people for whom I played it think it might be the greatest thing they've ever heard. And Sean created the mashup. Yeah, Sean did. He put together, which obviously took him an exorbitant amount of time to not only sit through and re-listen to episode 44, but to pick out every single word, editing and copy and pasting. It's an awesome feat. It really is. But here's my thing. 
and this is, I'm talking directly to Sean and any of you who have had an issue with how much I cuss or curse or swear on the show. I don't, this isn't a character I'm putting on. When these mics get flipped on, I'm not, I don't put on a voice. I don't put on uh, a facade. There's not some, some shtick that I'm doing. This is Jesse Dollimore. This is I Doubt It with Dollimore. If I were to cuss, I mean, that particular episode, I think I had a couple drinks in me, so I might have been a little bit liberal <laughs> with with the profanity, maybe. But on the whole, I, I think I, I am a guy who cusses a lot. And all through my life, I've been told, oh, cussing is, you know, cursing or swearing is for someone who just can't find the words, that doesn't have the vocabulary to to uh, express themselves intelligently. I think that I've demonstrated on this show overwhelmingly that I'm not a dumb guy. So it's not a lack of vocabulary or a matter of that. Well, and even that argument is kind of archaic because plenty of intelligent people cuss. Christopher Hitchens has a filthy mouth. Dr. Drew, my hero, who's yeah. a medical doctor, he cusses all the sure. time. Sure, So, so, I, so what, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not that. But also, it's, it, this is who I am. This is how I talk. And I want to be genuine with my audience. When these mics click on, I want to be the guy. If, I, if you bump into me in a bar and I'm sitting around with my friends and I'm, we're talking political issues or social issues or cultural issues, I'm going to talk like this. And this is what you're going to hear. It's genuine. It's real. So I'm not going to try to curb my language. I'm not going to try to add and pepper my language with profanity because that's not who I am. Now, if I bump into a lady at my local Target, my local grocery store, and I'm, we're talking about the news of the day, I'm not going to talk about fucking Mitt Romney because I just met her, and that's not socially acceptable. But it is socially acceptable for me to put out a show, to put out a program such as this, where I say what I want to say, and you have to go through effort to listen to what I did. It's not like you're just turning on NBC and they're dropping the F-bomb, which I would actually be okay with as well. It's you have to come to me. Well, and you're also warned. There's an E for explicit. Yeah. So, and I don't think he has a problem with the profanity, like he said. It's just the the overuse of it. Exactly. Which, like I said, it's, it's really just how I talk. That might have been an aberration of how much I used. I'm spitting on my mic. How much I used it during episode 44. But... I can't apologize generally for how much I use it because it is how I talk. So without further ado, and we appreciate it so much, I want to play what he has titled Dollamore 44 fucking rampage. Fucking, 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 fucking bullshit, fucking pieces of shit, fucking every other fucking, there's no fucking conflict ever fucking made. Piece of shit, I've shit on the movies. Up his own ass, shitty fucking worse. Shittiness, Dead. shit, up my own ass, shut her fucking mouth. Fuck, we get it. Shit's on me, utterly fucked. There's no fucking solution. It's a no fucking win. Doing bad shit. Terrible shit, terrible shit. Same kind of shit, so fuck both of them. They're both fucked, both assholes. Digging his fucking hole, fucking wrong. Smug prick. Fucking rape. Dumbass continuing to dig his fucking hole. Uber. Ah, fuck you guys. I kind of fucked up. Maybe we're wrong. 
Maybe I'm not seeing something. There's no fucking secret. Fucking whatever. Viruses don't need a fucking passport. Cowardly fucking weasels. But I'm also not shitting. It's uh, uh, it's their fucking home. Right. (laughs) Penetrate. Fucking goddamn. I mean, fuck fucking bad people. Goddamn. Fucking brain. Keep a fucking eye on this guy. Bullshit. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Fucking Ikea. Shitty bunk bed. Fucking hilarious. Shit. Goddamn. Fuck. On such a shitty note. (laughs) That is honestly the greatest thing that's ever been created. Oh, goddamn. I tell you what. It seriously, well, it lets me know that my three choice words are fuck, shit, and goddamn. And it lets you know that I'm an angel who doesn't cuss at all. Well, you said smug prick. I did. And a lot of that was in reference to uh, Richard Dawkins. Yes, which you can't help but use that phrase when discussing him. Well, when someone's a smug prick, they're a smug prick, and you have to say it. Yeah. So. So listen, Sean from Missouri, we very, very much appreciate your sending that. You're going through the time and effort to make that, to put that together. It is spectacular, and I think it will be in the vault for, for sure, a best of episode if we ever have one. So I hope that addresses your concern. In other listener news, we got, I got a, a message um, that was relatively long from a listener, and I wanted to address one point, one thing that he talked about, and it was related to the the woman who has eight kids and was smoking crack and had her kids taken away. So Jordan from Las Vegas, he says, you mentioned a crack-smoking mother of eight who was arrested, yada, yada. My question here is, is the concept of population control that bad of an idea? But I feel like I've become a fully functional misanthropic mesopedist. And that means hatred of children. (laughs) But I fear for a real-life idiocracy, like the movie, he didn't say that, I'm just parenthetically adding that, like like, uh, a real-life idiocracy future. So why am I a horrible person in some folks' eyes, for thinking that, no, some people shouldn't be able to procreate. If you can't take care of yourself, you shouldn't be allowed to have a child, let alone fucking eight of them, that now you and I get to pay for. And I completely understand that argument. However, my argument comes from the standpoint of the government. And I know everybody talks about a uh, slippery slope. It's too, it's too easy to say to drop that line. And that's not a, poor, that's not a good argument. But the fact of the matter is, to whom do we leave the decision of who can and cannot have kids? Yeah. Is it, is it the government? Because if the government can't even get the little things right, then why are we going to give them the chance to start legislating who can have kids and who cannot? Yeah. I mean, I think, a woman who has eight kids, seven of whom have been taken away. I think that's an everybody can say, oh, yeah, fuck, she probably shouldn't have kids. But it's it's certainly not that easy once you get asshole politicians involved. It's they start taking that power and it goes to their head. And then, well, she one drug conviction. All of a sudden, she can't have any kids. Well, and that's why... Or too many traffic tickets. I mean, where do you draw the line? And when you have politicians involved, sorry, but when you have politicians involved, that line starts blurring and they start pushing back further and further and further until it's only the choicest among us who are allowed to have children. 
that's why people like Jordan need to focus on what we can do to prevent these things from happening in the first place. And that would be educating people into the cycles of addiction, abuse, and poverty. If this woman had an intervention in her teen years that said, listen, you come from poverty, you come from addiction, you likely come from abuse you are going to have a tendency to perpetuate these cycles. Now, what can we do to help you to stop that? Let's get you in counseling. Let's invest in your education. Let's make sure that you focus on these things. And if we could get the government to talk about those important issues, how to get people involved in education, how to realize these patterns. Yeah, I agree. You know, then that would prevent this from happening and we wouldn't have to worry about preventing people from having well, kids. Even, they would they would instinctually realize maybe I'm not good to have kids yet i need to do some work on myself before doing that maybe even if we we didn't we wouldn't have to do all of that if we just focused on let's make sure they don't get addicted to drugs and that doesn't mean making drugs illegal that just means having programs of education in place to let them know hey listen you are very much at risk of being a drug addict and we need to make sure that you're educated to the highest level that we can reasonably so you don't become a drug addict well, and, and poverty is a huge part of it, yeah, too. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And that's why I say it's abuse, addiction, and poverty. It's those three things that really can set someone on the wrong track, right. like this woman that had eight kids. Right. You know, and if we could intervene in these people's lives early, then we could prevent these things from happening. Which, to his point at the very end, that we end up paying for those kids. Here's the deal. If we're able to pre prevent it altogether using a little bit of tax dollars we would avoid the entire fiasco to begin with. Exactly. So we wouldn't have to continue to pay generationally for these poor people who have too many fucking kids and are ruining lives and continuing this terrible cycle. And that's the thing. It's kind of PC to talk about these things. Politicians don't really want to touch on the issue, but listen, it's statistics. It's not controversial. Yeah. If someone has been abused, they're likely to follow a trajectory. How can we intervene? How can we prevent what's going to happen from happening? Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we are going to introduce a brand new segment on the show. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. What do you think of that, huh? That sounds spectacular. That's official. Yeah, it is. Right? So this is going to be our first installment of many, many, many Dollamocracy 2016. It's probably an understatement to say we are wildly excited <laughs> about the upcoming election season. So excited that we created a segment lead-in yeah. with official political music. Very early. Yeah, we are. And in our first installment, we are going to talk about Governor of Texas, Rick Perry. Presidential hopeful Governor of Texas, Rick Perry who was recently indicted of felonies. A Travis County grand jury on Friday indicted Perry for carrying out a threat to veto state funds to the local district attorney, an elected Democrat, unless she resigned following her arrest and conviction for drunk driving. That 2013 veto prompted a criminal investigation. Perry said he had lost confidence in the prosecutor and had been clear about his intentions to veto the funding. Her name, the district attorney, is Rosemary Lumberg. 
and she was arrested for drunk driving and there's video footage of it. And Which I, we will absolutely put on the Facebook page. Yes, I will post a link to it. She was sentenced to 45 days in jail, but released after spending 23 days in jail. So that just seems like a lot of time. So she did some time. She did some time in jail. She had a DUI. Look, fuck, people make mistakes. Fuck, whatever. He, we're going to talk about this issue at length. But first, I want to give Governor Perry his chance to respond. This is the first minute or so of the news conference that he called to respond to the... Uh, the indictment is governor i took an oath to faithfully uphold the constitution of the state of texas a pledge that i have kept every day as i've worked on behalf of texans for the last 14 years that's the same constitution that clearly outlines the authority of any governor to veto items at his or her discretion just as I have, following ed every legislative session during my service as governor, I exercise this authority to veto funding for an office whose leadership had lost the public's confidence by acting inappropriately and unethically. I wholeheartedly and unequivocally stand behind my veto. And I'll continue to defend this lawful action of my executive authority as governor. A lot of people <laughs> will agree with what I'm getting ready to say. Some will think it's a negative thing about Perry, and some will think it's a positive thing about Perry. This guy is a poor man's George W. Bush. He, listen, if you think George W. Bush was awesome, then you'll understand what I'm saying. And if you hated George W. Bush because you think he's a simpleton, then you're really going to hate Rick Perry. He just doesn't have that good old boy folksy thing that was likable about George W. Bush. He definitely does not. So you can kind of understand what he did, though. And in the midst of all the controversy, people are focusing on the fact that, oh, he's being indicted with felonies rather than focusing on what happened. Mm -hmm. So he vetoed the state funds to this district attorney that was very crazy drunk when she was arrested. Yeah. And she was being aggressive and, you know, reports stated that she had to be restrained with handcuffs and leg irons because she was being so aggressive and combative. She told the officers that they were, you know, ruining her career and, and saying things like that. And she was just clearly very drunk. So it's yeah. very out of character for a, a DA to behave that way. Right, which is an elected position, and she she's the district attorney of Travis County, which is where Austin, Texas is, which is an anomaly where it relates to Texas politics. It's like the Sun Valley... Well, this isn't going to be... No one's going to fucking know what I'm saying. It's like the Sun Valley, Idaho of Idaho. It's very liberal. It's it's a an oasis of liberalism in the desert that is Texas, that, that is conservative Texas. So she also heads up this corruption probe department within the state of Texas. And after this happened, Rick Perry wanted her to resign from her position. She refused. And I think he wanted her to resign not just because of just the DOI, but because of her behavior, this all became public, and she was a detriment to that 
to that department. Exactly. There was a video of her being booked and acting recklessly. Like we said, we'll post it. Right. Disrespectfully to the police. And... Yeah. She When they removed her jewelry at one point, she had said, y'all are going to be in jail, not me. So she was you know, speaking disrespectfully to the right. police officers. Which I think sets a tone. If the district attorney is is disrespectful for police, why can't I, average Joe on the street, criminal, be also disrespectful to police? Yeah, so her punishment was among the highest for a first-time DUI offense. I think so, too, yeah. It, I mean, I would agree with that. She was sentenced to 45 days in jail and a $4,000 fine under a plea God agreement. Damn. So that wasn't a very good plea agreement. <laughs> I wonder if that judge was a Republican appointee. That's crazy. I don't know, but wow. that seems like a bad time. So... Well, so so here's the deal. So someone who works alongside of Miss Lumberg brings up charges of political corruption against Governor Perry for vetoing those funds. And he has been indicted by a grand jury. But I think that this isn't going to go anywhere. In fact, it's not just me who thinks this isn't going to go anywhere. David Axelrod, famed Democrat, David Axelrod, tweeted, unless he was demonstrably trying to scrap the ethics unit for other than his stated reasons, the Perry indictment seems pretty sketchy. And I guess I'd have to jump on the the Axelrod bandwagon on this because I think Governor, well, one, Texas law states that if it's not a constitutionally mandated division of government he has the right to veto funds so what what i mean by that is if he tried to veto funds for the legislature which is a constitutionally mandated facet of government that would be unconstitutional so he can't do that but because it's some ethics unit that's not constitutionally um required He's able to do so. That is his under his purview as governor of the state of Texas. It's no one else's job to veto bills. It's his job. You might not agree with it, but that's what politics is about. And if he's asking her, and I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but I'm saying it's not criminal. If that's the case, and you can bring a governor to court every fucking time that he vetoes something that you want to put in, We've got a massive problem of a logjam of lawsuits against our elected officials. Well, and I would be concerned, too, if a DA, you know, like this woman, Lindbergh, she's 63. They arrested her because a witness had called 911. A witness had called 911 to report seeing a car driving for about a mile in the bike lane, swerving and veering into oncoming traffic. Mm. And her blood alcohol level was 0.239, nearly three times the legal limit. And she had a bottle of alcohol in her passenger seat. Wow. So, I mean, this was her first time drunk driving. So she's likely, you know, maybe she was having a personal whatever issue. the reason. Yeah. But that's something a DA can't do. I mean, right. well you you should be held to a higher standard when you're the person who's in charge of prosecuting people who are in this position. Yeah. You should be I wouldn't say beyond reproach, but goddamn, you 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 should be in a position where you're you're not driving three times. If you get a DUI and it's, you know, 0.09 or 0.10, but 0.24? <laughs> yeah, wow. 
Wow. Yikes. That yeah, yikes. That that's that's out of control. That's a sitch. She has an issue. There's a problem there. Yeah. I think most people, if they got to that position where their blood alcohol content was point two three whatever, unless they have an alcohol problem, they're gonna be on, you know, rug sucking, snot slinging drunk. They're they're donezo. So yeah. I think it's likely that she has an alcohol problem, yeah. which needs to be dealt with, which doesn't, I don't think, mean you lose your job. But being in that position, it's a whole different story. She's not a greeter at Walmart. She's the Travis County District Attorney. Yeah, there's expectations there. For sure. So I I agree with Axelrod. I think this is going to go away. Um, it doesn't mean he's going to become the 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 45th president of these united states because i think he's too much of a simpleton and doesn't have the <laughs> doesn't have the political acumen to get there but there it is i think this has been a uh, a wonderful first episode a first installment if you will of dollamocracy 2016 which are, by the way i have to give credit to listener katie who came up with that wonderful name for this awesome segment. She's a creative genius. Yeah, she really is. So moving on, we are going to talk about what everyone cannot avoid when they turn on their TV. Ferguson, Missouri. It's a North St. Louis suburb, a town of about 22,000, and there is a lot of shit going on. An 18-year-old man by the name of Michael Brown was killed by police shortly after, well, I tell you what, we won't even get to that yet. He was killed by police a few days ago, and there has been absolute uproar and riots and looting and protests in response to police action against him. People are not happy. Not happy at all. Um, Anonymous has gotten involved, and... Yeah, whenever something like this happens, it seems like Anonymous needs to get involved because they're all about the injustice in the world, Yeah, they're, right? like, they're like the digital version of uh, Al Sharpton. So, And usually they get it right. It seems like normally they do, yeah. With the, the football, the 17-year-old football rapist. Yeah, Youngstown, Ohio. Steubenville. Oh, was it Steubenville? That's right. Yeah. Near Youngstown. Yeah. So... So here's the deal. They they attempted to release the name of the policeman who shot and killed Michael Brown, and they got it wrong. In fact, they released a picture, which was also wrong. Yes. So they're not always right. And this is kind of a, a testament to me because I, when I see, I follow them on Twitter, and when I see what they tweet, I take it like it's the like gospel. I think that they're right. Well, because usually they've done good things in the past. Right. And apparently not always the case. In fact, this is funny. I had uh, a buddy of mine who listens to the show, Mark, from Boise, and he texted me and told me about a dream that he found out the names of everyone involved with Anonymous, and he used our show as the venue to release their names. Oh, look at that. Which was very timely. We're invading dreams now. And very funny. So there's a whole bunch of shit going on. With this Ferguson, Missouri situation, and it's kind—I equate it kind of to the Gaza-Israeli conflict, because there's really no right side. Everybody's fucked up in this. Everybody's made mistakes, and well, and especially since we don't know yet. I don't think I've heard the police 
their side. Th- that's it. For for many, many days, no one said what exactly happened. Uh, they finally released the police report. And we find out that even then, not a lot of details. Well, and they're anonymous released audio tapes, like an hour's worth of audio tapes. And apparently the cops didn't immediately say that they had shot someone. Like that wasn't a part of their immediate calls. They were just calling for backup and... Well, the odd thing is, and this is why I love Twitter, and if you're not on Twitter, get your ass on Twitter. Because it is a fabulous mechanism to find out immediate information that the networks just don't have the capability to to, to cover and to follow. We, last night I posted on my Facebook page a link to live on-the-ground coverage of, like, amateur reporters. They're not, they work for Vice, but they're, they're just like, nerd turds just like computer guys yeah who are out there with their with their computers and with their their mobile internet connections broadcasting live footage of what's going on right at midnight when the curfew took place yeah it's awesome because the governor put it a curfew in last night and actually tonight sunday you'll listen to this tomorrow on monday but you'll know more about what happened tonight than i do right now yeah we're like the daily show we record at four and then we we broadcast at 11 yeah (laughs) there was though a person on twitter who was live tweeting what was going on another reason why twitter is so great his name on twitter is bruh b-r-u-h and what's his is at something at the pharaoh it's a v with three e's yes the pharaoh yeah so he was live tweeting this situation. Because Michael Brown got shot right in front of his apartment. Exactly. And he was, he, you know, tweeted pictures of it and everything. And, you know, when he was live tweeting it, people were interacting with him because, you know, I'm sure he has followers that were curious as to what was going on when he said, oh my God, I just saw someone die in front of me. Yeah. And he said, someone asked from behind question mark because he had said someone was shot by the cops and he said the first two was the next five weren't he turned around right and at the time of this screenshot of this tweet it had 500 and it had 595 retweets right and that was early on that's several days ago yeah here's my thing and here's where we're coming down on this not we but me Here's where I'm coming down on this. Speak for yourself, Jesse D. I know. I mean, I don't know what you're going to say, but... Because we don't know what happened to this kid, um, we really can't rush to judgment. But I'll tell you this. If... He was certainly unarmed. I think we've established that. The police have admitted that. And, of course, his supporters say that. So let's just presuppose that he was unarmed. If he was running away and he was shot in the back... We got a problem. That cop. Oh, for sure. That cop fucked up. Yeah. And he murdered someone. Yeah, that's not good. However, if there was a struggle and this Michael Brown kid went for the gun, I shouldn't say kid because he's 18, he's a man. But if he went for the gun and the cop yanked it and shot him, then it's less of a convoluted issue. The other thing is they recently released against the FBI, against the Justice Department, against. Eric Holder, Democrat, friend of Obama's um, recommendation, they released a videotape that had taken place moments before the shooting when Michael Brown was robbing a liquor store for a $50 box of cigars, of Swisher Sweets. 
where he's being very um, strong-armed with the clerk or the owner of the liquor store. The Who's little, just a little man. A little small dude. Michael Brown is bigger than I am. I'm 6'3", 270 pounds. He's six foot four, two hundred ninety pounds. He's a massive, massive human being, manhandling the store clerk, ripping these these uh, this box of cigars out of his hands. So he does this. He's not a kid who plays nice. This is not some scholar. This is this guy. He's a piece of shit. Well, and I, I'll say that. Well, he, he's someone who's robbing from someone, taking what he wants from someone else. And people have been saying, you know, the release of this video, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't illustrate anything. Well, it illustrates someone's character. Right. Well, they're calling it character assassination. And well, it's, it's, it's not, not character assassination. It's facts. That's well, what it's called. Yeah, it's not character assassination if, if I lie all the time and someone is talking to another person and says, yeah, Brittany lies all the time. That's not character assassination because you're telling the truth about me. The fake me in this scenario. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm talking about. Everybody's crying. Oh, my God. They're, it's character assassination. It's not that. We have video evidence of him robbing a place. And, of course, that doesn't mean he deserves to die. No, absolutely. And I've seen a lot of people saying, well, this illustrates something about his character. And people are like, oh, so he meant to, he was supposed to die then? Well, no, that's not what that means. Those not are two all. different conversations. Well, that's they're amping up the argument, trying to make you backpedal. And that's not what we do here. He's a kid. A man. A trouble. A, a man who is a troublemaker, who is a thief, who is committing a fucking felony, and then by by the, the police accounts, walking down the middle of the street, blocking traffic when the cop pulled him over to see what was going on. Look, I think everybody knows I'm no fan of an overzealous police force. I think they have their role, but I think in large part... They are usurpers of constitutional rights, and we have a large problem in our country with how police and police units behave. So I guess to wrap all of to, to wrap this part of the Ferguson discussion up is that we really don't know what happened with him being shot. Um, it doesn't look good for the cops right now. It doesn't look at good. all. In fact, I would I would lend a lot of credibility to these tweets that were live, practically live tweeted. Oh, for sure. While it was happening, because this kid who tweeted all this stuff at T H E E E Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, he didn't know this was going to be this hot button civil rights issue and going to be cause his city to go into fucking crazy turmoil. No, it was just something he saw. He just sees that somebody gets shot and he's tweeting it as it comes. So now he's some minor 15 minutes of famed Twitter celebrity. So he's milking it for all his worth. He definitely is. But at the time he had, you know, 60 followers. He was a nobody. Yeah. Now people are now he's some like makeshift civil rights leader. Yeah. But he's also a rapper who makes beats, according to his Twitter bio. <laughs> Just so everybody knows that's probably right. important to state. So so here here's the thing. Saying that, and I think if anybody's listened to the show for 10 minutes, they know I'm no fan of overzealous police. Here's my going forward. There is a thing called posse comitatus. It was adopted after the Civil War when there were still standing troops in the Confederacy. Well, today, how it affects us is the army cannot use army and army tactics cannot be used against U.S. citizens on the ground within America. It, this draws a stark distinction in the world we live right now and what's happening in America. 
And I'm no Alex Jones, some conspiracy theorist weirdo who is completely against police force. But when you have armored Humvees that can ostensibly resist armored penetrating fucking missiles and all kinds of crazy armaments, that's a problem if those are being used in police forces. Brittany and I were talking about it earlier, and it's not only because that kind of equipment doesn't need to be used against citizenry, and they shouldn't be using phrases like boots on the ground, because that's military terminology that puts them in a mindset. Brittany and I were talking, and that she was saying that when, when these, she thinks that when they put this on, well, go ahead. Well, it's like the Stanford prison experiment. Why don't you explain to the audience what that is? It's like a simulation study where people were assigned to be guards and people were assigned to be prisoners. Isn't it where they had like at the college at Stanford University, they they cleared out like the basement of a place and they had rooms that were cells and they had kids that were assigned to be prisoners. And then they had kids, students, all these people were students who were assigned to be guards. Isn't that right? Yeah, and it was a planned two-week investigation into the psychology of prison life, but it had to uh, stop in only six days because the students who were the guards became sadistic and were being inappropriate yeah. with the prisoners and the and the, the prisoners who were students, by the way. This was just yeah, an they experiment. They weren't real prisoners. They were just playing the role of prisoner. Yeah, they became depressed and they were showing extreme signs of stress. So it's kind of a what happens when you give people authority. Well, this also, this particular, and we're not going to get into this, but it, it's a great topic. What's the name of it again? The Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah. So it, if you ever want to read about it, it's very fascinating. And but- Phil Zimbardo is who was the kind of head of the experiment. So when I saw the images of the police in the military uniforms, it reminded me of the Stanford prison experiment because when you give these police officers this equipment, it almost puts them into a role where they're going to be acting in a certain way uh, with the role that they were just assigned. They were given military gear. So they're no longer out in the world just like a regular police officer they're there to enforce they're there to take care of business yeah and they put on this uniform and then they start just fulfilling that role in their head almost like a subconscious thing that's happening it's the same reason why corporations who have call centers many of them have their people their employees wear a shirt and tie even though they're just sitting there on the phone. Yeah. Because when they dress more professional they act more professional yeah it's the same kind of thing so my issue with, with the Ferguson Police Department, because they have handled this crowd control and these riots and this looting, they have handled abysmally. It's been a fucking mess, a fiasco. The fiasco in Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been terrible. It has. They're it's using crazy. rubber bullets. They're using military-grade CS gas. I mean, it's... What, what was more shocking to me was watching the footage of the journalists having to abandon their camera equipment. I was, I almost forgot. They, thank you. They are gassing and dismantling camera positions. And detaining journalists. Some got arrested, right? Of journalists, which is a flagrant, obvious, no brainer violation of the first amendment of the constitution of the United States. So it's almost like when you start acting like this, what are you hiding? Well, that's it. Why can't the media take pictures of you and your actions and what you're doing 
to the citizenry of your city. Yeah, what are you doing wrong? What did you do wrong? It's it's a sign of something going on. Right. And even if you're not doing anything wrong, something has gone wrong and haywire within the the system and the hierarchy that you're not allowing the 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 open lens of justice to see what's going on. It's complete bullshit. So we got a problem. We got a problem in in Ferguson. A lot of people are criticizing the the chief of police. I, I don't so much because well, I, I I blame him for the policies, but I don't blame him so much for the way he comes across in in press conferences and such because he's not used to the the bright lights of the media spotlight. That's not his deal. So I don't blame him so much for that, but I definitely blame him for the wild policies that they've enacted against the citizens, both black and white. It's completely fucking ridiculous. We have rights in this country. We have the right to peacefully assemble. Now, riots, looting, that's a whole different thing. But if if we're there and we're chanting our chants and we're marching our march, you stay the fuck away. This is America. We have certain rights and you need to respect that because as a cop, you're not there to put people down. You're there to protect and to serve and to faithfully uphold the Constitution of both the state of Missouri and the United States of America. And the press is there to cover what's going on. So let them do what they're doing. Yeah, arresting them and gassing them. Come on. Fuck. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. So we will see what comes of this. It's still a work in progress. It's just still a story in action. We're going to we're going to be following it as it goes as as even-handedly and as open-mindedly as we can because one, I don't think this guy's a hero. I mean, every time somebody dies, whether it be Trayvon Martin or Robin Williams or this Michael Brown, whomever, they kind of get saint. They get sainted. And oh, they did nothing wrong. This kid, he may his his first day of college may have been coming up, but he wasn't a good person. He robbed a place for cigars. He wasn't robbing baby formula. He was robbing cigars. Well, and even he might be a good person who did a bad thing, but there's still something to say about what that video is and how he acted with that man. That's fair. I don't think I was being unfair, but that's a more fair description. That That is. Well, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of what you're here for... You got all kinds of awesome facts and data about drinking and smoking. I do. It's kind of a good topic, right? I love drinking and smoking. Well. I don't love smoking. Okay, so. I don't really love drinking. I love drinking. Okay. (laughs) So let's just get right into it. There are very few drinkers whose favorite beverage is wine. Among those. Among those with high school educations or less, 15%. I, well, hang on. I got to jump in. Well, let me finish what I'm saying. You're not going to filibuster. I, that's my job. Let me finish the next sentence. All right. On the other hand, 49% of Americans with postgraduate educations prefer wine. So what they're saying is, is, well, it's something that I think a lot of hoity toity types would have said a long time ago, but now there's kind of data to back it up that more intellectual types, more educated types like wine, and those who are not educated, they like the beer. It reminds me of the pronunciation for meritage. Right, which most people who like wine and follow wine would call it 
I don't know about most, but they would call it meritage. Yeah, because it sounds more... Mm. More more smarmy and fancy. Yeah. When meritage, for those of you who don't know, merit, the, the, brand, the, the kind of wine, if it's a meritage or a meritage, meritage is a mix of two words, meritorious heritage. So it's meritage, not meritage. There's no ta. It's meritorious heritage. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what it is. And a lot of those hoity-toity, snooty people who might call themselves wine snobs, I don't know that I've ever liked someone who considered themselves a wine snob. Yeah. Because as someone who considers themselves a wine snob typically doesn't really know that much about wine. Yeah. I I love me some wine, and I wouldn't call myself a wine snob. I love me some wine, and I... Definitely wouldn't call myself a wine snob. So keeping with this, wine is also the alcoholic beverage of choice among women and older Americans and those living in the East. Republicans are modestly more likely to prefer wine than Democrats. So I guess you could say that Republicans are more classy than Democrats. (laughs) How dare they say that? I, I wouldn't say that either. Okay, so smoking is almost the complete opposite. Only 6% of Americans with postgraduate educations say they smoke, compared to 27% of those with a high school education or less. Hmm. So it's almost the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah. And they kind of go into why is smoking so rare among those with higher level educations, and they talk about how it's probably less socially acceptable in those circles, and it's kind of who you run with. Whose data is this? Gallup. Nice. Well, so it's, you know, reputable data. It's not the winecouncil.com. <laughs> no, I think you could expect a little bit more of me. <laughs> right. Sorry, sorry. So getting into religious breakdowns. Oh, they do that. Yeah. Nice. Mormons and Jews in America have the lowest smoking rates of any religious group in the U.S. Okay. I, I would buy that. I think that's, I mean, obviously it's accurate there. They did the research. Now, here's a disappointing thing. The highest smoking rates are among Americans who have no religious identity. Nuns. Like us. Yeah. And among Muslims. Highest. Yeah, I was going to ask if they had any racial data on that because, like with the graduate group, because I know a lot of very educated Middle Easterners, Muslims and such, and they fucking, they smoke some smoking. Lots of smoking. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting that it's it has this education breakdown, and then with the nuns, none, no religious affiliation. Right, not, not Catholic nuns. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get everybody confused. You would think that since they are, you know, typically more reliant upon science for their beliefs, that they would know it's bad for you. Yeah. But apparently that's not the case either, because... This is some data for how harmful is smoking non-smoker versus smoker. And this is really interesting related to a little bit of cognitive dissonance that smokers have related to how much harm they're doing to their bodies. Smokers have cognitive dissonance related to how bad it smells and how much you can smell it on them. There's all kinds of cognitive dissonance going on with smokers. But go ahead. So 88% of non-smokers say that smoking is very harmful to their health. While only 47% of smokers say it's very harmful. 47%. Yeah. Wow. That's well, insane. That would also include those who are not very smart or, I'm sorry, not very educated. 
Yeah, so 2% of non-smokers say that it's not very or not harmful at all, compared to 8% of smokers that say it's not very or not harmful at all. Wow. 8% of smokers. Unbelievable. Are they living in a cave? Well, don't you have data also on people who are cancer survivors and the percentages with which they smoke? Yeah, an American Cancer Society study has found that nearly 1 in 10 survivors still smoke years after being diagnosed with cancer. 10%. 10%. It's shocking. Researchers looked at data from 2,938 patients nine years after being diagnosed with one of the 10 most common types of cancer, breast, bladder, prostate, uterine, etc., they found that 9.3% had smoked within the past 30 days. And of those people, 83% smoked every day, averaging 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. The highest smoking rates were in patients diagnosed with smoking-related cancers, obviously, bladder and lung. The researchers also found that survivors were more likely to smoke if they were female, younger, and had a lower income or education. That doesn't surprise me. So it, it just goes to show that, you know, maybe we need to follow up with cancer survivors long after their diagnoses to make sure that, you know, hey, smoking is still cancerous. <laughs> you didn't build up an immunity to the cancer. You can't just start smoking or continue to smoke. Yeah. It's not like a vaccine. Yeah. And I mean, it is, you know, it's an addiction and close to half of the smokers said they planned to quit while 10.1% said they did not. So mm. that's a little alarming. It's a bummer. Well, we are going to finish with this. Taking care of biz. So what do we have today in taking care of biz? This is going to be a hilarious 911 call from a young lad who needs some help with his math. What? 911 call, huh? Yep. All right, well, here we go. this because this kid's four and he's taking care of biz getting help with his math oh 
I thought it was the mom who was getting ready to take care of Biz with the kids. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> but also, the kid's taking care of Biz with some brains, too. Yeah, he's super smart. Four, four years, years old. old. And not, it's not that I know a lot of four-year-olds who can say, hey, if you have two apples, then I take two apples. How many apples do you have? Zero. But he's reading from a piece of paper, obviously. Eighteen take away six. So he can, he can not only count up high, but he can recognize what numbers are what by reading them. Well, and not only that, he knew that calling 911 was probably not his best choice because he did not want those cops at his house. He said, no, I want you to talk to me over the phone. Right. Well, I don't think he realized that's not really an option. We're coming out. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, when, when he talks to the mom, she says, what are you doing? The policeman is helping me with my math. Yeah, he says, you said if I need help to call somebody. <laughs> well, he was just doing what she said. Oh, uh, it's so good. It is so good. Well, that's happy. That's a happy taking care of biz. Yeah, he's adorable. Yeah, awesome. All right, everybody. Listen, we uh, we love you. We appreciate you listening. This is going to be an episode that we're not going to talk about. The Amazon link that you can find on dollamore.com. Oh, I just did it. Like I said, we love you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on I Doubt It with Dollamore. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been another episode of I Doubt It. Penetrate. Fucking goddamn. I mean, fuck fucking bad people. Goddamn. Fucking brain. Keep a fucking eye on this guy. Bullshit. Fuck that guy. (laughs) 